<laughs> Saturate, can we make some noise for Jesus up in here? Oh, come on. Anybody expecting God to move tonight? If you're expecting him to move in your house and your family, put those hands together and let's give God a shout of praise in here. Let's let him know you're welcome in this house. Hallelujah. 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 Y'all sit down. I tell you, I am peacock proud and hyena happy to be here, boy. I tell you. I'm not going to lie. That's the whitest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen some white things because I've been to Pastor Joby's office back there. But that was the whitest thing. I Y'all know what y'all did. When I go back to my church and I show my white church members that, I'm going to be a better pastor to them now. They're going to be like, let's say we've always loved you, but now we're in love with you. Oh, my goodness. That was great. That was great. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And I just got to tell you, I, um, I love what God's doing here in your church. Um, God's been so busy here, and I've been watching. I, I planted our church about seven years ago. You guys are about six years old. Um, and I just, our church grew really fast, multi-ethnic, gospel-centered, intergenerational church there in the Los Angeles area, right outside of uh, Pasadena, California. And, you know, we were, you know, we were, we were doing great. I was getting invitations to people to talk about what we were doing and work and stuff. And then I met Pastor Joby, and he just said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, I think he's probably five years old then, and at that point, y'all were only seeing, you know, 40,000 people or something, you know what I mean? Some crazy number. He's like the fastest growing church in earth, you know what I mean? Uh, it's just unreal. So I sat down, and, and he was, like, talking about what God had done here and how big the church was. I went back to my church, and I didn't even like my church no more. I was like, I don't even, even want to be here with your people. I fired two people just because they weren't from 1122. I was like, you're not even from there. I, I mean, seriously, I looked at I mean, just the name 1122. How cool is that? I went back. My name sucked. I was my, church, our church name is Fellowship. You know what I mean? Like, what is that? 1122, that, what does that mean? Ain't nobody ever asked me what our church name means. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of, you know, I'm glad to be here, but, you know, I'm low-key depressed. Pray for my staff when I get back on next week. I'm like, you know what? 1122 had a Kelly. We ain't got no Kelly. Teresa, you fired. Let's go find a Kelly. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do, but uh, let's get through the night, and then I'll work out my depression later. Um, Seriously, what God has done in this place um, and who your pastor has been, not just when he's on this platform, but in intimate, personal settings. What I love about uh, pastors, you know, all, everybody don't have a good pastor. Y'all should thank God for that. Because er, er, you should thank God for who you have. Because I'm going to tell you, everybody ain't got that. I'm going to tell you. Uh, who he is on the platform and his convictions, he has those same convictions in intimate, small spaces. Uh, and I appreciate the time that he's taking with me, that he, did, that he didn't have to, to pour into me and to speak into my life. So can we just take a moment and thank Pastor Joby? Thank you, man. I appreciate who you are. It's your pastor. Can't nobody thank him like you. Don't let me outthink your pastor. Don't let me outthink you. Don't let me outthink you. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. So thankful for him uh, and his amazing family. Um, so, 
just a couple of things to get out the way before I get started in the Word of God. I just kind of, you know, want to get it, make everybody safe, make everybody comfortable. Um, I'm black. Uh, I know, I know. It was a shock when I heard it the first time, too. It was just like, what? Um, and, you know, I, I grew up in, in Pearl, Mississippi. Like, y'all heard my name, the name of my church was Sweet Home. Like, I grew up in a black church, you know what I mean? And, and guys, it's just a little different, you know what I mean? Like, it's not one better than the other, but the black church is a little different from, from what we got going on tonight. Uh, it's, it's a little different. So, and I've just, I've learned how to navigate the differences. I've learned how to navigate the differences. The people say, y'all get a bad reputation. People say black, see, because at the black church, it's a, it's a response. We talk to each other. The sermon is a time to talk. I know your mama told you don't talk in church, but it's okay tonight. Um, uh, we, we, we talk back and, and white, white people get a bad rap because people be like, white people don't respond in church. And that's just not true. It's not true. I've seen it. Just respond differently. You know what I mean? Uh, my at, at our church, I had an aunt Vicky. She talked back to you throughout the whole service. If it got if it got good to you, if the message got good, and you start saying it, she literally shouted at you. She'll say, "Come on with some more." <laughs> what you got to watch, Aunt Vicky? Though you start going too long, she'll say, "All right, bring it all home now." <laughs> you make up your mind, Aunt Vicky. What you? But, but I've learned, though, as I speak in white churches, white people, they have a response. This is, this is how white people respond. When, they, when the message really gets good to them, when they're really excited, this is what they do. They do this. They do this. <laughs> it get weird when I do it a long time, don't it? Imagine how I feel preaching for 50 minutes up here. And when y'all really want to shout, when you really want to get just excited, really, when you just really turning up, um, turning up, when you show exuberant praise and adoration for the glory of God. When you really get excited, you do this. Watch this. You do this. Huh. <laughs> so what I want you to know is you can talk back to me tonight. Amen. 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 And there's always one white person that goes way too far with it. And... <laughs> In the middle of the sermon, you shout, Gatorade! It's like, no, brother, it's just, you just don't know how to do it. Don't, don't even worry about it, dog. Don't even worry about it. Exodus chapter 3 is where you'll find me tonight. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Now, Joby, you got me nervous. If I put the Bible here, is it now invisible? So I need to, is, is it okay? You got me all nervous. You got these cameras and these rugs, y'all. I just don't know what to do. Because if you go off the rug, then you're blind to everybody else on the cameras. So I'm, I'm nervous. So for the campuses, first of all, the campuses that are watching. Can we give it up for the campuses? Oh, my goodness. What's up, y'all? Let me tell you something. How blessed are you to have all of this chocolatey goodness in HD? Like... That's a blessing. You ought to turn to your neighbor right there and say, we bless tonight. We bless. But if the Holy Ghost take me off this rug, just know it wasn't a rapture. I just went off the camera. That's all. It wasn't a rapture. It's like, Jesus, the rapture. And why is we all still here? Don't worry. I'll be back. If the Holy Ghost take me running off, I'll come back. I'll come back. Exodus chapter 3. Uh, we, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. 
1 through 7. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Hear these words of our Father. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your shoes, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Father, for this great church. We thank you for this great gathering, this time to be saturated by your presence and your power and your glory. Father, it's our prayer now that in these next few moments that you would speak to us like only you can. Uh, Father, your children have gathered to listen, so speak, O oh Lord. Tune our ear to your voice so that we might hear you ever so clearly. Uh, turn our hearts toward you so that we might experience the fullness of all that you have for us. God, it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you would have us say, know, and do. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. Get glory in this place. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Now, this story is familiar if you grew up in church. But if you didn't grow up a church person and you ain't ever been in church, don't, don't worry about it. If you saw the movie Prince of Egypt, you are right where I need you to be. You are right. This is right before Mariah sing that big hit coming out the song. Uh, this is a story of Moses and we find him in a very interesting space. Um, before we get to chapter 3, we see him in chapter 1, and in chapter 2, he's, he's, he's growing, growing up in Egypt in Pharaoh's house, but he's realizing that his, his complexion, his identity, he, he, he don't look like the other folk in the house. He he doesn't, he doesn't look like them, and he, he's recognizing that, in fact, I look more like the slaves that are on the field. Moses is a Hebrew living in Pharaoh's house, so he wrestles through his identity, and he has a compassion for people that look like him. He goes out, and he sees their mistreatment. He sees uh, how, how, how they are just abused, and one day he couldn't take it anymore. 
He goes out and he sees a Hebrew slave being abused by an Egyptian and he intercedes. He goes in and he pushes the, the, the Egyptian and they get into a tussle and Moses, before he knew it, killed him, murdered him. After the murder, he goes, runs, and hides. Comes back, he, he sees the next day two Hebrews fighting one another. And he goes and he interacts with them and he says, why are y'all fighting each other? How can you be fighting one another? Because he's thinking, I'm fighting for y'all and now y'all out here fighting each other. And they look at him and say, well, what you going to do, Moses? You going to kill us like you did that Egyptian yesterday? And he was like, y'all had seen that. Y'all, y'all had was watching how y'all had seen that. He was out it. Everybody knew he did it. So what he did was he went and he ran and hid. He ran and hid. And our text finds him on the other side of hiding. I don't know what you do when you get in trouble. I don't know what you do when you mess up. I don't know what you do when you sin. But you, he, he ran and he hid. And what we see in chapter 2 and what begins we see the fruit of in chapter 3 is the is the result of what happens when you are God's child. You run, you hide, you fail miserably, but the grace of God's hand reaches in your running, reaches in your rebellion, and grabs you and pulls you up and gives you a new chance, a new beginning to start over again. Can I just take some time to encourage somebody who might be watching, who might be sitting in here tonight, and you've messed up. You you find yourself in church, but you're hiding, you're running because of guilt and shame and because you've sinned. You, 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 you feel like you're disqualified from God's grace. You feel like you don't deserve to be here. If you came here discouraged, beat down, broke, busted, and disgusted, if you came here wondering if God would ever use you, if you came here wondering if you could ever overcome the addiction, if you came here wondering if you would ever see the sun shine again, I'm telling you the grace of God's hand is reaching down in your situation, in your season, and pulling you into purpose. Oh, I wish I had a witness to say, God, I thank you. So if you're sitting in here today, I'm telling you, you've got a God who says you get to begin. You get a new beginning. You get to start over. The failures of your past don't have to dictate the promise of your future. If you still got breath in your body, there's still purpose in your chest. God's not through with you. He's going to use you for his glory. He's going to use you for his glory. I've come to talk to folk tonight that were on the verge of throwing in the towel. I, I want to talk and speak to marriages that thought that we, we can't go back to the glory days. Our, our best days are behind us and you're considering quitting. I want to talk to that person who hadn't accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior because you think a loving God wouldn't have anything to do with a failure like you. I want to talk to that person that was on the straight and narrow but fell miserably and you're wondering if God can still use you. Moses is an example. Homeboy's a murderer. But we see God using him. See, God will use the negative in your life to open you up to a whole new vision. Ah, some of you in a rough season, don't you underestimate the power of the rough season. God will use this season. 
he'll use it for his glory. All things will work together. Back in the, um, back in the 80s when I grew up, in the 90s, a- anybody remember when you would take a picture and then you'd have to take the film out of the camera and go to a store and then they process it about three, four days. You forget you put it in there, go back about three weeks and you see the picture for the first time. You, you, anybody remember that? Remember when you had to wait a week to see a picture? I, I know some of you millennials, millennials, you ain't ever even heard of film. You know what I mean? You think, but, but you would have to go and you give it to them and they develop it. And then you could actually see the picture and see that, yeah, everybody's eyes was closed. Okay. All right. We wasted all that time. We can't use none of these pictures. That's, that's great. That was, praise the Lord. All right. That was a waste of money, you know. Anybody remember those days? Y'all remember those days? I, um, I, I remember being a little boy, and I, we got a picture back, and it was a good one. It was a good one. And you know, the tendency as a child, first thing you want to do with a picture is bend it. You know what I mean? It's just something about that paper that says, bend me. You know what I mean? And then it was something about my mama that says, I'll beat you. And I was like, okay, okay, I won't do that. But I'll never forget, we got a perfect family picture from Easter. And we were playing around, and somehow we ruined the picture. We ruined the picture. And we was all scared, thinking that this was going to be the end of our life. Because we grew up in Mississippi, and you could lose your life over something like that. <laughs> My cousin Kimmy lost a leg in third grade because she broke a window. So, you know, it just, you know, it was rough. We didn't play down there. Um, no, my mama came, and she was upset, but she says, don't worry about it. We can get it redeveloped. I said, well, how can we get a picture redeveloped? What you talking about? She was like, well, in the packet right there, the, the negatives are right there. So you pull up, y'all remember negatives? They send you all in it, and it's the pictures, but they're just on a little thing, and the actual picture that you look, I said, mama, that don't make no sense. She said, well, the actual picture came from that negative. So if we still got the negative, I can just take the negative back, and I can show the picture, and we can get the picture, because the picture actually came from the negative. You get it early, I won't have to preach as long. <laughs> God is saying, don't be intimidated and threatened out of the negative. He's going to give you a picture of your future and of your glory that he's going to encompass your life. Don't be intimidated. Don't be worried. God's putting a new picture of display, but it's going to come from the negative. I'm telling you, I'm standing here today. Some of the greatest pictures of my life has come from the worst negatives of my life. I can celebrate and stand in confidence knowing that a great godly kingdom picture comes out of the negative. So if you're sitting in here today and you're sitting in the negative, girl, you got a picture on the way. You're sitting in here on the negative, brother, you got a picture on the way. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Some of you sitting here today and you saying, Brother Pastor Tate, I appreciate you, but you don't know all the things I'm working with. You don't know all the things I'm telling you. He'll take some of the worst things and he'll put it together and it'll be for his glory. Anybody ever, anybody, anybody know how to make a cake? Who are the cake makers in here? I need to see who I need to see after service. <laughs> I'm talking about pound cake. I'm talking about you know how to make it. Does she know how to make it? Some of the greenness of the cake, you got that butter, that flour, that raw egg. Um, watch this, vanilla extract, huh? 
Come on now. Somebody ought to be impressed with that in Jesus' name. Come on now. Let me tell you something. I used to sit at the house or my grandmama used to sit and she had a blender. Oh, she could make a cake. She could make a cake. She, she'd be whipping it. And the best part about watching her make a cake is once she got it in the oven, you had the, the batter. Oh, Lord, have mercy. If you were blessed to lick that spoon from the batter, oh, come on, I thought I was in the South. Anybody have a witness up in here? You lick that stuff, it's like sweet nectar from heaven. I mean, Lord, have mercy. But it was confusing as a child because I watched her put things that were independent of themselves disgusting. Like, when was the last time you had a stick of butter and was like, girl, give me a bite of that? <laughs> Nobody does that. Nobody takes a raw egg in the morning and, unless you're rocky and weird. You know what I mean? Because I know it's some of y'all in here. You're like, I do raw eggs every morning. Yeah, you're weird, bro. You're weird. <laughs> Take it down a thousand, bro. Like, no one does it. No one says, yeah, hey, hey, give me a shot of that vanilla extract. Give me a shot. It's, like they can get started now, Jack. You know, like nobody does that. These are all disgusting. No one's like, give me a handful of powder. No, <laughs> oh, it's great. It's a little dry, but it's great. Like nobody does that. They're all disgusting. But oh, when you take that blender and you begin to work that thing together, you work that together, it makes something amazing. God is saying, I'll take the disgusting, bitter things in your life, things that you can't even imagine that are terrible in your life. Oh, but when I put my hand of grace in it and I start working it together, exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ask or think, it will work together for your good says, I'm working it together for your good. Moses is, is suffering from failure, but God's hands of grace finds him. Uh, Jethro, priest of Midian, his daughter finds him. He comes out of there, and we find Moses, he got himself together. Now, y'all, it's chapter 3. The grace of God has worked in his life. He got a wife. He got kids. He got, he got a boo and a shorty. Uh, I'm sorry, boo and shorty. Significant other and offspring. He, uh, like, like God has blessed him. He got a family. Not only that, but y'all, he got a job. He at work in chapter 3. He at work, tending to the flock. He at work. Got himself together. God's restored him. God's been faithful. God's worked it all together for his good. No longer known as a murderer, but now a son, a husband, a father, an employee. He's got a new story. Your failure ain't got to dictate your future. God says, I've given you a new picture, and it came from the negative. He, we see him in the text. He's got it together, and that's when God speaks. That's when the burning bush speaks. Moses, Moses, we know the end of this story. He's got a new assignment. God wants him to do something new. I don't know about you, but if, you, if, I'm, if I'm anything like Moses, I'm thinking, God, I don't want nothing new. I'm good. I got a job. I got a wife. I got kids. I'm good. I don't need no new assignment. I don't need no new blessing. As a matter of fact, you want to use somebody, you should use Jacob the street. He pretty jacked up. He could use something new in his life. I, I'm good. I don't need nothing new in my life. You see, because we all love it when God disrupts us from a season of sin and failure and guilt and shame. 
we, we're cool when he disrupts us from crisis. We ain't so cool when he disrupts us from comfort. Ah, that was good. I'm going to walk to this side of the rug and say that again. <laughs> See, we're, we're cool when he delivers us from crisis. Oh, Lord, come in. Jesus, bring me out. Lord, Jesus. But when you're in comfort, family's going well. Money's right. Job's going well. And then Jesus comes talking about, I need to do. No, 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 no. Don't mess nothing up. I got everything situated just the way I want it. I finally got it all out. That's when, you, that's when God declares to you, my daughter, my brother, my sister, my son, I didn't call you to comfort. I called you to kingdom. And I've got a work that I need you to do, and it goes beyond your comforts. It's not about what you're comfortable with. It's about what my kingdom is calling you to. And Moses, I've got an assignment for you. It's amazing how when we get comfortable, we tell our sin testimony but is that the last testimony you had from when he saved you? No, 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 no. God says, I want to do a new thing in you. Your 40s, you got the kids settled, you got to there, got your little household rhythm, got your little calendar. No, I want to disrupt your comfort because there's a kingdom calling on your life. I want to call you to something greater. I want to saturate you with a greater purpose in this next season. He says to Moses, come on. I want to use you. I want to do something great. And the first thing I need you to do it's take your shoes off. That's, that's the first thing I need you to do. I need you to take your shoes off because you are standing on the holy ground. I, I, I need you to take your shoes off. One, one of the most dangerous jobs in the world is my job. It's one of the most dangerous jobs in my world because I work at the place where the bush speaks every week. I work at the church. Bush speaks there all the time. I work at the burning bush. And when I first started preaching, y'all, 20 years ago, I used before I preach, I'd be crying before God. God, please use me. I'd take my shoes off. I'd be down before God said, God, please use Please move by your spirit. God, please move. Please move. Now that I've been doing it 20 years, the biggest threat to me, instead of trusting the one who's been faithful, I'll become too familiar with him. And I just walk in his presence, not with my shoes off, but now I just walk in with my shoes on. Hey, what's up, God? It's Sunday. We read it. I've, I've assumed a sense of familiarity, and I've lost my sense of awe. I've lost my sense of wonder. And he says, Moses, the first thing that I want to do is I want you to take your shoes off so you can be reminded that you're standing on holy ground. I need you to feel the dirt in your toes so you can know that this is sovereign ground. This is God-provided ground. Take your shoes off. Remove the thing that gets in the way between you filling my presence in your toes. Take your shoes off. He's inviting him from work to worship. Take your shoes off. Over there in your shoes, that's what you do. That's your work. That's your assignment. You take them shoes off. You stand on this holy ground. It's my work. It's what I do. It's my assignment. Take your shoes off and feel the presence of God again. That's what happens is over time. Things get in the way between you and feeling God. Your devotionals used to move you to tears. You used to have conviction. Now it's the most stale 15 minutes of your day. Because it doesn't have passion. It doesn't have a sense of awe or wonder. You're just going through the motions. You haven't taken your shoes off in a long time. You don't feel the presence of God anymore. Addiction will come and cover and get in between you and your ability to feel God's presence. Pornography has got your heart so cold and calloused. 
You used to feel conviction about it. But you've lost your tears. The addiction has just become a part of who you are. Hello. He says, take your shoes off. Because you're so consumed with being a mom and you're so consumed with your spreadsheet and getting everything down. Why don't you spread before my presence and be reminded that I am a father to your children much greater than you will ever be a mother to your children. The presence and the source has to be found in me. Take your shoes off so you can stop comparing yourself with other moms on Instagram. Oh, come on in here. You was having a good day till you see Sister Sarah on Instagram. And it's her little picture with little Leroy, and they just smiling. And the, and the caption says, just doing life. Well, now, well, Sarah, show us the other picture of cross-eyed Leroy when he was running around the room. And show us all the pictures that it took for you to get this one picture. You put this one picture up, but you took it 20 times. Show us cross-eyed Leroy, Sarah. Come on now. She just doing life, and you look at her, and then you see your running around crazy kids. And she said, look at Sarah. Her life is so good. God is just so blessing her. Why can't you bless me with her? He will bless you like he did her if you take the picture 20 times. <laughs> but see, you're so consumed with what other people think. God is saying, take your shoes off and be reminded about what I think of you and your glory, of his glory. Just take your shoes off. You've become so familiar, you've lost the passion. You've lost the desperation. You've lost the sense of wonder and awe of God. Take your shoes off. You know the reason why you need to take your shoes off? Because he doesn't want the, the dung of your past to be treaded in the destiny of your future. Did, did y'all just get that? Did y'all get that? Come on, y'all live in Florida. Y'all know what dung is. Y'all know what it is to track stuff in the house. In California, do y'all have, y'all probably got this. So you got folks that don't let you wear shoes in the house? They take off your shoes, and they're so giddy about it, too. In our house, we have a rule. Shut up. <laughs> like, they're so giddy. Y'all know these people? Some of, some of you are that giddy person. We have a rule. We don't wear shoes in our house. It's so funny. We just want you to be comfortable at home. And you just be thinking, lady, I didn't come prepared to have my toes out <laughs> in front of strangers. You should have put that in the email. I, my feet is all ashy and stuff. I don't know. And my kids, I don't know what, ain't no telling what kind of socks they got on. Now we at Sarah's house and she wants us to take our shoes off. You know, because you just, it's not prepared for it, right? But you know why that's important? Because they probably watched some episode of 60 Minutes where they trace feet in all the nasty places where they walk. And they don't want the nasty places where they've been to be sitting in their living room where they lay down on the floor. God is saying, take your shoes off because the places where you've been, I don't want it to mess up this holy place that I'm about to bring you into. The guilt and shame of your past, I want to take that off. The sin, the failure, I want to take that off. The bitterness and the ugliness of your past. We're not going to track that into this new season. We're not going to track old stuff into the new thing that God is doing in your life. Some of you, that's good news because you got some old stuff that you don't want to see no more. You've got some old relationships you don't need to see anymore. You've got some old habits you don't want to see it no more. You need to take your shoes off. God is saying, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Take your shoes off. You are standing on holy ground. The other reason why you need to take your shoes off, 
so that you can be reminded. He knew, Moses, listen, in a few days, you're going to be standing in front of Pharaoh. And when you're standing in front of Pharaoh, your feet may be tempted to run, but that's when I need your feet to remember the holy ground that it stood on and the power and the sovereignty of God so that when you sit there and you look at Pharaoh, you're not intimidated by Pharaoh because you can feel in your toes that your God is bigger than Pharaoh and he can keep you and guide you. So let's take your shoes off so you can be reminded of how big I am, how good I am, how mighty and how great I am. Uh, Ray, Ray Johnson tells a story of a young Diane Disney, uh, Walt Disney's daughter. And in her book, she talks about how normal it was growing up in Walt Disney's house. It was, y'all, it was just normal. She said it wasn't special. She was like, I would just grew up in a normal childhood. As a matter of fact, it was so normal when she went to elementary school for the first time. She goes to class. She stands up to introduce herself. Hi, my name's Diane Disney. And the class goes crazy. They're clapping. They're high-fiving. They're laughing. And Diane starts crying. She says, she starts crying, and the teacher says, what's wrong, Diane? She says, they're, they're, they're laughing at me. They're making fun of me. She's like, no, no, they're just happy for you. She says, why are they happy for me? All I said was my name, Diane Disney. And they started going crazy and just high-fiving. It's like, ah! And I don't know what they thought. Maybe they thought they was going to get tickets out the deal or something. I don't know. But they were just, they were just like, oh, Diane Disney. And she's like, see, look, they're crying. They're laughing at me. And she says, no, they're happy for you because of your, because of, because of your name. She says, what? She says, your, what's your dad's name? She says, Walter. And she says, right, Walt Disney, as in Walt Disney Company, as in Mickey Mouse is your cousin. Like, Donald is your uncle, like, Disney. She says, I had no idea. She had no idea. As a matter of fact, she goes home angry at her dad. He's sitting there reading a newspaper. She walks up to him and says, you didn't tell me you were Walt Disney. <laughs> she says, I walked around my house for months in awe of who my father was. Saturated, I've come to tell you, your father ain't the owner of Disneyland. He owns all the lands. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. Oh, I wish I had a witness up in here. It ought to blow your mind when you think about how good your God is, how big your God is. Oh, church, come on and let's celebrate a God that's big, that's good, that's great. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is our God. He's a good, good father. You need to be reminded of how big your father is, how good your father is. He says, take your shoes off. So you can remember how big I am. Some of you came here tonight and you're carrying some big stuff. Some of you came here tonight and you got some heavy burdens. And I'm telling you, I'm not here to minimize your problems. You say, how about you don't know how big it is? No, 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 no. I'm not here to minimize your problem. I'm here to help you maximize your God. I don't care how big your problem is. Your God is bigger. It's bigger. So let's take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. The thing that I noticed in verse 4 was interesting. The bush 
bush catches on fire. Which, parenthetically, when I was in Sunday school, I thought that was the miracle. Until I moved to California and realized bushes catch on fire all the time. <laughs> that ain't a miracle, child. That's Tuesday. <laughs> the miracle was that the bush spoke, but I noticed that the bush didn't speak until Moses moved. Ah, therein lies a word for you, church. Some of you came here, and some of you are praying just this week. You, you said it just this week. God, I'm just waiting on you to move. I'm just waiting on you to move. I'm just waiting on you to move. And could it be that God is looking at you saying, I'm just waiting on you to move. I'm just waiting on you to move. I'm just waiting on you to move. Move in obedience. Move in faithfulness. Move in trust. A lot of times we're waiting on God to move, and he said, I'm waiting on you to move. I, um, I'm embarrassed to say I was in the uh, airport bathroom a couple of weeks ago, and y'all, it took me 20 minutes to figure out how to wash my hands. <laughs> you remember the good old days when they used to have knobs on the faucet? Like, what happened to our people? What's going on? Like, they don't even have knobs on the thing, so I walk up. I don't even know what to do, and I would just, you know, normally <laughs> I just watch what somebody else does and just do that. You know, at least that's how I made it through high school. Um, but I look, and ain't nobody in there. So I'm in there, y'all, and I'm like. <laughs> After a while, it looked like I was in there dancing. Now watch me whip, watch me nay-nay, watch me whip, whip, watch me nay watch me do it. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm trying to figure this thing out, y'all. I'm trying to. And then, then watch this, watch this, watch this. Then, then somebody walk in the bathroom. Somebody walk in, so I'm thinking, whew, all right, okay. I'm just going to watch him and see what he do. This nasty joker going to walk out. Didn't even wash his hands. I said, that's the last time I traveled with Joby. That's like, this is ridiculous. This is, this is. Didn't even wash your hands. So finally, finally I did this. Finally, finally. I just simply, I just did this. And the water came out. I did this. And the water come out. You'll, you'll, you'll get it in a second. I, I did this. What I'm saying is if some of you would just do this, the living water of God will flow in your life. If you just do this with the family, if you just do this with your marriages, if you just do this with your kids, the water of God will flow in your life. Where are the areas in your life where you just need to do this? Where you need to surrender? What does it mean for you to walk in obedience? What does it mean for you to walk in faith? What does it mean for you to trust God again? He says, I want you to begin again. I want you to do a new thing. In order for you to do it, you got to take your shoes off and be reminded how big your God is. You got to be willing to extend your hands and make the first move knowing that a move of faith will move God in heaven. <sighs> Finally, Moses gets the fullness of the call <sighs> and that's when it comes. The insecurity. He says, you want me to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go? 
You want me to go to him and speak? He says, you know that I, I have slowness of speech. And you want to you take the one thing that I'm not good at and use it in this season? See, a lot of us, God says, I want to use it. You be like, okay, cool. Let me show you, my, let me show you my, all my strengths. Let me get all my gifts. Let me get all my, he says, no, 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 I don't need none of that. Huh? He says, I want your weakness. My weakness? He says, no, 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 no. I want your, he says, I don't want to use any of that shit. I don't, you, you, you administrative, that's sweet. I love all that. I don't want to use any of that. I want to use your compassion. Jesus, you know I'm not the most compassionate person. That's why I want to use it. He says, I want to use your generosity. God, you know I'm as stingy as he's all get out. I'm the, I'm the stingiest one in my family, Jesus. He says, that's why I want to use it. Because God says, if I use your strength, when I bring it to pass, you will say, we did it. But if I use your weakness, you'll say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, I don't know where I'd be today. Has he ever used your weakness before? Has he ever used the area in your life where you didn't have strength? He says, Moses, I want to use the weakest thing you got. Paul would later tell us, it's in your weakness. My strength is made perfect. So come on, Moses. I want to use your weakness. And here's the thing. When Moses has some slow speech, I'm not good at that. He was telling the truth. It was a fact. It's a fact. He wasn't good at it. A lot of times we think that in religious circles or in church, we got to put the facts to the side and just hope that God's going to do something beyond it. No, 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 no. Don't take the facts and put them to the side. Put the facts right there in the center of the table. No, I'm not good at it. Yes, I struggle with this. Take the facts of your situation. Some of you say, Pastor, take, you don't understand how, how all the facts. There's a lot of nuance. It's complicated. Take all the complexities of it. I'm not here to wave some spiritual magical dust over you. No. Let's take the, harvest, the conversation. Let's take the complications. Let's take the situation. And line by line, let's look at how hard it is. Because everywhere you put a fact, God says, yeah, you put a fact, but I'm going to put a truth where that fact is. Bishop Kenneth Alma will tell me, you got to learn the difference between the facts and the truth. The fact is, yes, you're overwhelmed. You feel like throwing in the towel. You feel like you're going to give up. But the truth is, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not get weary. They shall walk and not faint. You got to know the difference between the facts and the truth. The fact is, I feel like the enemy got a target on my back and he keeps coming after me. Yeah, that may be the fact. But the truth is, no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. The fact is I feel like I got haters and people coming after me. I got one person criticizing me, this person criticizing and I got the world coming again. Yeah, that may be the fact, but the truth is greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You got to know the difference between the fact and the truth. The fact is I cried myself to sleep last night, but the truth is weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You got to know the difference between the facts and the truth. The fact is I'm tired. I don't know if I can praise God. I don't know if I can lift my hands. I don't know if I can give him glory, but the truth is I will bless the Lord at all times. 
times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. Saturated, the truth is God is well able to do what he said he would do. He's not through with you yet. He's not done with you yet. If you're in this room and you say, Albert, you don't know me, but it's been hard. And my facts kept me discouraged. Some of you, you came with a marriage that needs to be saturated. Some of you, your kids need to be saturated. Some of you, you're single, you're out there trying to live for God, but you're desperate and empty. You need to be saturated. I want to talk to those who came carrying something heavy. So heavy and you feel God beckoning you. It's like, God, I got something so heavy. I'm carrying something so heavy. I'm so discouraged. I barely came to church tonight. All I hear are the lies of the enemy. All I hear is my st st stutter. All I hear is my weakness. If you're here tonight, and that's you, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. If you all around the room, would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? If that's you, you say, Albert, I came with something heavy. If that's you, would you just stand right where you are? Just stand right where you are. Just stand up right where you are. It may be different. Just stand right where you are. I'm carrying something heavy. I'm carrying something heavy. I'm carrying something heavy. If you're here today and you say, Albert, I got my shoes on. And what I mean by that is I hadn't felt God in a long time. The passion has been gone a long time. I've allowed something to get in the way of God in my toes. I don't feel him like I used to. I'm not walking with the same passion that I used to walk with. I'm not walking with the same desperation. If you need to take your shoes off tonight, because you need to be reminded of how the ground you stand on is holy. If you've forgotten that God is sovereign and you're not, if you need to be reminded of the bigness of God because you've been so consumed with the bigness of your problem, if the addiction has assumed you, consumed you, if that's you and you're in this room, you can say, Albert, I need to take my shoes off. If that's you, just stand up right where you are. Just stand up right where you are. I need to take my shoes off. Renew the passion, God. Renew the passion. Renew the passion to take my shoes off. If you're in this room and you say, God, Albert, to be honest, I've been waiting on God to move. I've been sitting on the sideline and I've been waiting and I've been waiting. And tonight, I need to take a step of faith. I need to move. I need to walk in obedience. I need to walk in his word. I need to walk in faith. I need to trust him again. I've been saying I've been waiting on God, but if I'm honest, it's been an excuse for me not to trust. It's been an excuse for me to sit in comfort and not walk in kingdom. If that's you, if you've been sitting on the sideline, but God is saying, get in the game. Believe again. Trust again. Take a step of faith in my word. If that's you, you've been waiting on God to move, but tonight you hear him saying so clearly, move. You make the first move. After Moses moved, God spoke. You're one move away from hearing from God.
If that's you, jump on your feet. Stand on your feet right where you are. God, I'm going to move tonight. I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust you. All over the room, those that are standing, would you just lift your hands? Just lift your hands towards heaven. It's just an external sign of what is an internal reality. God, I give up. God, I surrender. It's a universal sign all across the world. It means I surrender. It means I ain't hiding nothing. I ain't holding nothing back. Look at my hands. They're wide open. That means I'm letting go what I'm holding, and I'm ready to receive what you're giving. With hands lifted up, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, would you remind us tonight that we're standing on holy ground? Would you remind us we're not standing on our on our financial resources. We're not standing uh, on our intelligence. We're not standing on our ability to fix things. We're not standing on anything else but the sovereignty and the power of an almighty God. So we take our shoes off. We stand in your presence and we say, God, we make the first move. We trust you again. Taking our shoes off requires a vulnerability. It requires an ability for us to say yes again. So we say yes again. We trust you again. Getting off the sideline of bitterness and taking this step. And Father, would you move? Would you speak through your word? Would you speak through our worship? Would you speak through community? Would you speak, oh Lord? And Father, in this moment, the enemy might try to remind us of all the reasons why it ain't going to work, of all the reasons why we should stay discouraged, of all the reasons why we shouldn't take a step off the sideline. But Father, in the midst of the facts, we believe the truth. Our God is with us. Our God is for us. Our God is good. So we trust you, God. We trust you, God. And we will walk, not in the facts, but we will walk in the faith of the truth of your word for his glory. Everybody said amen. If you believe that, would you just put those hands together and bless God like he's, oh, come on, bless him. Let's thank him like it's already done. Come on, saturated, let's thank him like it's already done. Let's thank him like he's already speaking. He's already moving. He's already healing. He's already saturated us with his glory in Jesus' name.